He's a wonderful king, isn't he? Declare all his wondrous works. You know, he works in wonderful ways. Does wonderful things. Wonderful things. Because he's a wonderful God. Come here, Lorraine. You know, it's what you call asking people. Face that way. Lorraine was telling me a little secret. She'll tell you. Um, well, I've been epileptic for years, about 20 odd years. And um, a few weeks ago, God healed me, and I've been um, free from it. But the only thing was, afterwards, I had the devil came in, and he, sh and I had, I was really very bad. In fact, I was worse than what I've ever been. But it was something that I had to fight through. And after about a week, it was gone, and I've never had another attack. It's wonderful. My corns. <laughs> In one meeting, they just went. <laughs> you know, he gives us beautiful feet. That's true. Isn't that wonderful? Declare all his wonderful works. Rachel Brown, come here. Quickly, come on, just push through. share what you share with me. Well, since Michael prayed for me um, two or three times, really, uh, at the time, I suppose I didn't think really very much had happened, although the first time I did feel numb. He prayed for me the first time on the Tuesday night. And um, as time's gone on, we're packing up to move, to move over to Brentwood at last. And um, I've done all the packing. Three months ago, I couldn't have faced a book to put in a box because I was just just so unwell, really. And um, I'm finding the boxes are around us, full. I'm unscrewing shelves off the wall with a screwdriver. I go mad with a screwdriver. And I am at the moment. Everything's going off the walls. So I'm screwing everything and putting everything away. And it's amazing the strength that I've got, that God's given me. It's just wonderful that he's done it.
I'd like to go on talking about Christ. I don't find that there's anything else I want to share about but Him. You know, man's solutions aren't God's solutions. Man says one thing, God says something else. And He is the mighty King. I believe God. I don't believe man. Gladys was told by the doctor, you'll never improve. Well, according to him, it was true. But then he left God out of the reckoning. And that's the truth. When you leave God out, you have nothing. But I want to look, if we go back to Colossians, you'll remember in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. If there was one scripture that thrills my heart, it's this scripture. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. Christ is all and in all. Our wonderful Savior is all and is in all. And the truth is, he's talking and writing to Christians. He's writing, as you see in verse 1, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And as I said last night, there is no church down here that will ever be right. There is no place that will ever be right. The only true church is the church of glory. He is the builder. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And all ministry must point men not to a man or a system, but unto him who is able to do it. And that's the truth. Christ is all and in all. And that's the wonderful thing about it. Jesus Christ. And when we get our hearts set on him, and when we see the reality of who and what he is, we find life. We find all things. And so I want to go on this morning and talk on this wonderful scripture. It's a gospel of free grace. There are different types of people in the earth. Very different types of people who accept Christ but they don't accept Him in totality. You find people who have got a legalistic attitude to things. Now when Paul wrote this epistle, he said, look, you're risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. And then he goes on to say, Christ is all in all. There's neither Greek nor Jew. Now the Greeks claim to have the culture, the Jews claim to have the inheritance of God. And Paul writes and he says, you're neither of them. You belong to God. When I became a Christian, I lost my nationality. When I became a Christian and bonded with Christ and got it with God, I lost my nationality. I became a Jesus follower. And therefore it doesn't matter what nation you are, you belong to Him. A barbarian, you leave the barbaric principles you belong to him. And that's the only thing that links people. I'm more a brother 
to you than I'm a brother to the world or to my own family. Because I'm bonded with Christ. And therefore my whole life is made in him. I have more in common with my brethren in Christ than I do with my own blood brother who denies the things of God and walks the way of the world. Of course I do because God has met me and I'm one in him with all those who love his name and follow after him. I don't believe in denominationalism, the abominations of denominations as I find it. I don't believe in that and I don't believe in being loyal to one. Let me make that plain. What I believe in is being loyal to all those who love Jesus and follow him. But most of all, I'm loyal to him. Christ is all and in all. And I'm not loyal to anything on earth. I'm loyal to the kingdom of God in heaven. And that alone. And we have to understand that there's so many things that try and subvert the simplicity that's in Christ. People tell you, they say, do this and then you'll know God. Do that and then you'll know God. Let me tell you something. Whatever you do, it's as filthy rags in the sight of God. Nothing is going to add to the finished work of Christ. Nothing. Nothing you do in your life is going to draw you nearer to him. Nothing. It's totally of undeserved merit. It's grace. What I do doesn't bring me into Christ. It's what I live. And what I live is a knowledge that I can do nothing and he must be everything. Simple as that. Christ is all and in all. To me Jesus is everything. And I can't add to what he does. This do and you shall merit reward, some say. It's untrue. Or this do not and you shall cease to be the beloved of the Lord. If you stop doing, uh, you know, if you don't do this, then God's not going to love you. People get that condemnation in their minds. You know, if you don't pray so often in the day, if you don't do this and that, then God won't love you. It's a load of rubbish. You're not loved because of what you do. You're loved because he loves with an everlasting love. And that's the end of it. When he chooses someone and he puts his name upon someone, you're loved because he chooses to love you. And it doesn't matter what you do or what you say or how you live, Jesus loves you. You say, well, does that mean that we could continue in sin? God forbid, how shall we continue in sin? The grace may abound, God forbid, says Paul. We're dead to sin. And it's only when we begin to realize that everything is what he has done and it's nothing that I can add to, it's nothing that I can contribute to. I come to God on the basis of who and what he is and what he's done. Every moment of every day I realize I can do nothing. He's done it all. And it's a finished work. And I don't get guilty and all bow down and think God won't love me if I haven't spent seven hours seeking his face in a day. 
Because I know that his love to me is not based on what I do. It's based on the spirit that he is. He's the God of love. And I know that I can't carry favor from the Lord God of glory by doing this or doing that. I come to a great big heart of love and I believe his love. And because I believe his love, he loves me. But he loves me if I don't believe it too. Because I belong to him. And that's the end of it. It's all grace. Nothing to do with what I do. And we so often get trapped and snared in our minds to think that it's something to do with what we do. It isn't. Nothing to do with what you do. It's to do with what you are. If you're truly born of God, you're beloved of the Lord. I find it wonderful when I look, and I suppose it, from someone like me, it has to be that way. When I look in the scriptures at old Jacob, I can identify with Jacob. There is something about Jacob that I can identify with. I'm afraid, naturally, I'm a twister. Aren't you? Hmm? All of us have a Jacob nature. In, but before they'd done anything, the scripture tells us in Hebrews, before they'd even done anything, before their birth, God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. How about that? And nothing that Jacob did down in his life ever changed God's mind. And when God begins to call a soul, there's nothing that you can do that's going to divert his purpose. When God chooses to set his love upon you, that's it. You are beloved of the Lord. And that's the wonderful thing. Do you know when Peter denied Jesus, Jesus' love did not deflect one iota when the disciples deserted him Jesus's love did not cease did not change at all and when they came back they found that loving heart was the same as ever when David sinned God's love never changed towards him all oh, there were dealings of God there was discipline But that just shows that he loves you. If you go out of the way, he'll discipline you into the way he wants you to walk. And that's totally undeserved favor. Undeserved. You don't merit his chastenings. You just get them. You don't earn them. You just find because he's got such a great big heart of love, he's going to deal with you till you get right anyway. And the truth is that it's coming to him, you can leave all things in his hands. When Jesus on the cross cried out, it is finished, it was. And so were you. You were finished. And the day that Jesus met you and the day you first responded and you felt your heart warm towards him, that was the day that really sounded your death knell. That was it. You were finished. And God's working out that purpose in your life till Christ is all and in all. Christ is everything to you and he's going to be everything to you that when you see him you'll be in his image.
you'll find that the glory of Christ is in your being and you're transformed from glory to glory as in the face of Jesus. And when you see him, you're going to be like him. And you'll find that his life has overshadowed and overwhelmed every part of your being. And he's become all in all. That's wonderful, isn't it? And the truth is that he's all in all now. It's you just don't see it yet. The victory is there now. But we're working out our salvation. God's working in us. Performing those works within our soul. Performing those works in our hearts that are going to make it manifest. It's a wonderful thing. And I can't add to it. And I can't subtract from it. All I can do is be obedient and accept the chastenings of the Lord and realize that I've got to love him and trust him. And as I love and trust him and follow him and acknowledge him and give all to him, it works out more speedily and less painfully. And that's the truth. And if I want to fight him, I fight with the God, the creator of heaven and earth, and I find that he is resolute, determined, and unyielding. I find with God that if I want to go my way, and he doesn't want me to go that way, I can run at it. I remember um, Robert Miller saying to me once, long time ago, I, I, I've never found it easy being a pastor, uh, I find it very difficult because it goes against my natural nature. Naturally speaking, I'm a very shy, inhibited person. Now, no one believes that, but it's true. In my nature, it's in my inner nature. And I've always found it very hard to stand up in front of people and speak. And I always was very embarrassed. I grew up very shy and introverted. You look and you say, well, how can that be? Well, it's true. Now, because I was that way, I built a good camouflage, which God took away from me when I got saved. And I find it hard, and I, I, I find sometimes there's times when I see the things and I want to run, I think, oh, Lord, you know, that's it. I, I can't go on with this. And Bob said to me one day as we were talking, he said, well, he said, you know, I feel the same way, brother. He said, but I'll tell you the secret. I said, what's that? And he says, well, whenever you want to run, run really fast. I says, why is that? He says, because the leash God's got you on will jerk you back to the center quicker the faster you run. And that's the truth. If you try and get away from God quick, you find that leash has got you on just whips you back. And that's the truth. God's got you, you know. And salvation's all of him. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that Jesus is the only one. I don't believe there's a, a doctrine. I don't believe there's a philosophy. I don't believe there's a, a, a correct way. I don't believe there's anyone who knows eschatology well enough to have got it right. I don't believe there's anyone who knows all the doctrines of the church to have got it right. One thing I do know, Jesus is right. Man can concoct every theory he likes, but in the end, the only thing that works is when you meet Christ. 
You can have all the doctrine of healing, but I'll tell you one thing, you'll never be healed till you meet Jesus. You can believe all the right things, but you have to have that life of him come. But when I'm born again of God's Spirit, then my life is hid with Christ in God. Then everything changes. And God sees that wonderful life that Jesus is outworking in me. And he is working out his purposes in me. And nothing can stop it. And that's the truth. It's finished, said Jesus. And the day I got saved, I was finished. I didn't understand it at the time. And most people never understand it until they leave this body and then they realize what God's done and they'll look back. But the truth is, Christ does it all. There's nothing I can do to add to his finished work. We're risen with Christ. Verse 3. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God, says Paul. He said, you're dead. Now that's the truth. You're dead. Not you will be, you are. You're a dead man. You're a dead woman. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And God's transforming it and it's in God's hands. And all the circumstances in your life are militating towards one thing. To letting Christ be all in all. Until your whole life is consumed by him. That's wonderful, isn't it? Now it doesn't apply to the world, of course. It tells you who it applies to. Verse 10, it says... It's to those who put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He's talking to the born again people. The people who have truly given their hearts to Jesus. Those are the people who are dead. You are dead. So well, I feel very much alive. That doesn't alter the fact you're dead. Say, well, I seem to do so much. That doesn't alter the fact. You see, in God's reckoning, that's it. Finito. You're finished. That's it. You're dead. Finished. Christ finished you on Calvary. And nothing you can do is going to get you to be more deaded than you are. Have you ever seen a corpse trying to die? Can't. A corpse only decomposes. It can't die anymore. It's dead. That's the end of it. And God says you're dead. And Paul wrote to these people and he said you're dead. And then he goes on to say... Put to death, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth. In other words, though you're dead, and you are dead, you've just got to put to death, you've got to allow the cross to work in your life. In your natural life and through your flesh, you've just got to put to death, 
your members. The natural desires and the unnatural things you put to death. But you're dead. The you's dead. Now put to death your members. And it's as simple as that. And there's nothing you can do to add to it. If you turn with me to Isaiah um, 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And here's a question that I think would be appropriate at this point. A question that God puts here. Verse 1. Who hath believed our report? I've just told you you're dead. Who's believed it? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? To who? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should des desire him. He shall grow up as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Do you know Jesus Christ when he came? He just grew up in the totally wrong conditions the totally wrong atmosphere the totally wrong environment amongst the Jews they hated him they despised him they rejected him it goes on to tell us that uh, verse 3 he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and we hid our faces from him we, he was despised and we esteemed him not there's the king of glory the king of grace the one the most glorious one who was despised he wasn't esteemed he wasn't held in reverence man rejects him always and he came in dry ground he grew up out of it he did something that no normal plant would do he grew in dry ground just grew up where there was nothing to help there was nothing to aid his development he just grew. And when someone's born of God's Spirit, it doesn't matter where they are and in what condition they are, they'll grow up like a tender plant out of dry ground. They'll defy all the elements around and they'll grow up. A person can be born of God and called of God, come from a godless family and godless generations and godless people, and he can grow up as a tender plant out of dry ground and that's how Jesus was everything militated against him being full of grace and full of truth everyone rejected him everyone despised him everyone hated him everyone ridiculed him and he still grew right how about that you tell that to the psychiatrist and psychologist if anyone should have had all the complexities and all the phobias and all the things that should develop in a person, Jesus should have had them. And he didn't have one of them. 
And anyone who's born of Christ and born of God and that glorious seed, you'll find that it doesn't matter how dry your heart is, it doesn't matter how twisted your soul is, I tell you, there's a tender plant going to grow in the dry ground. That life that God has put within you is going to grow. That seed of the word of God that's gone into your heart, it's going to spring forth and that's the end of it. You say, well, my heart's cold and dry. I don't care if it's concrete. There's going to be a wonderful plant spring forth and that's the end of it. And nothing you can do is going to add to it and nothing you do is going to subtract from it. God's decided to do it. And he's the creator of heaven and earth. And he takes the things that are not as though they were. He chooses people who he will and he says, I'm going to make that one a child of grace and that's the end of it. He does. And he takes the most adverse conditions in a human heart, the most adverse conditions in a human soul, and let's face it, all our flesh is adverse to God, isn't it? And then he says, right, here's good ground. Because only I could grow there. He has to get to a hard, dry heart because nothing else will grow there. Then he puts his word in there and he says, just watch that. And the angels look down from glory and they behold and it seems strange but out of dry ground comes this tender plant. And as they behold and look they see year after year this plant growing up and this life developing. And they say, well that's impossible. But God does it. Because God's God. And that's the wonder of it all. All is of him. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus came? He came and he lived in a total race that hated him. That crucified him. And he was all love. And he didn't suffer one thing. And in fact, his whole development defied everything, didn't it? Doesn't it defy reason to love those that hate you? Hmm? And despitefully use you? How can you have a heart like that? Don't you want your own back? I mean, he could have called a legion of angels to swap the lot of them. But he didn't. But he had justification, didn't he? And aren't there times when people are your enemies and you want to call a few angels? Not a legion, just one would do. Hmm? Think, Lord, you know, really show them. No, that's not the spirit of Christ. Mind you, James and John had that. Uh, that's what I loved about James and John. You know, I, I kind of can identify with James and John, the sons of thunder. And I, I think always that the angels must have looked down on John in years to come and they, they looked at wonder at that son of thunder who'd wanted to call fire down on everyone. And there he was called the apostle of love. There he was writing about the love of God. 
There he was expressing the love of Christ more richly than anyone else. And he was the one who was told he had not even the spirit of Christ. Jesus said to him, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. Poor old John. But years later, that apostle of love wrote those wonderful letters, those wonderful epistles. Pen the words of revelation. Saw more beauties and glories than anyone else and recorded them. There was a tender plant that came out of dry ground. God had chosen him. God had called him. And God made him what he was. He didn't make himself what he was. And that's one of the mistakes of the Christian in trying to be something that you're not. You can only allow the life of God to work out in you and you can cooperate with him but you can't change yourself, you can't help yourself. You can't add to the work of God. You can only obey. And he'll work out his purposes. When Jesus said it was finished, it was. You were. You're finished, fellow. You're finished, woman. God has declared your death. He has written your obituary. You are dead. And that is the end of it. You say, but I'm very much alive. Oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. His seed's coming. You're dead. And that life's going to work and that glory's going to come out from you. That old clay pot of yours is going to have a tender plant in it growing up. And that's the end of it. Until the whole of that vessel is filled with that light and life. And it's going to happen. Day follows day and God works out his purposes. Do you know he's working, he's pursuing, he's doing it. And nothing you can do can stop it. And the strange thing is it's not the church you go to that counts because if it were the church you go to none of you would have ever got anything from here and it's not the ministry that counts and it's not the preaching that counts it's him it's all Christ and the secret of all true ministry is to allow Christ to do his work. To magnify and lift him up till he draws all men. And the strange thing about this is that there is nothing that we should desire him. You look at the prophetic words in um, Isaiah. For he shall grow up as a tender plant and as a root out of dry crown. He hath no form nor comeliness. Do you know when Jesus comes, he comes without form or comeliness? How about that? Now people tell me you've got to have a form of Christian life. Have you ever heard that said? Oh, you know, you've got to have this sweet disposition, that sweet nature. Jesus comes without formal comeliness. He just comes as he is. Glory to his wonderful name. That's why if you try and 
get yourself to live up to a certain standard, you're missing the whole point. You're, you're dead. When Jesus comes, he comes without form. And there's no comeliness. And then it goes on to say, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty in him. We should desire him. Do you know the one thing a church must never try to be is beautiful? A church must never be attractive. And that's what I was saying to the Lord this morning. You know, Lord, what, what is this? When he began to speak to my heart, I said, Look, how are you going to get people to, to join to your wonderful kingdom if there's no form, no comeliness, there's no beauty that we should desire? What, what are people going to come for? And the Lord said to me, they won't. I said, what? You know, if they're not going to come, what's the point? He said, no. He said, they won't come for the beauty. They won't come for the comeliness. In a true church, they just come because Father draws them. And that's all. He doesn't make us show. He doesn't promise beautiful things. He doesn't have choirs with robes and beautiful music and stained glass windows. He doesn't need that to get people there. <laughs> he just lets Father draw those that are going to come. That's all. There's, really, when you start telling people about the life of Christ and it means death of you and you've got to give everything up and you've no rights to yourself, I mean, that's not a form that's desirable, is it? Huh? Anyone like to be told you're dead? Anyone like to be told that you've got to give everything to him and you've got to take up your cross and you've got to walk the way of Calvary? Now, is there anything desirable in it? Does anyone find anything desirable? Now, you see, what the church want to do, they want to put trappings on which will somehow make the pills sweet. But I realize this, that the more I go on with God, the more I realize that you just have to present Jesus. And he said he'd draw all men. How would he draw them? Well, Father will. I find that if you present Christ in his beauty, such as it is, a man whose face is marred more than any other man's, a man whose image is despised and rejected and hated more than any other man's. No beauty nor comeliness in him that we should desire him. And if you present that, God says, I'm going to draw men unto me. I say, well. I remember a man once, I was driving my car to a meeting and the man said, look here, if you keep preaching the way you're preaching, no one will come. But you know, the call of God is to leave everything. Jesus came and he left everything. And he calls us and he says, look, this is the way it is. And there's nothing to 
pander to the flesh. There's nothing to pander to our natural desires. There's nothing to elevate man. That's why in the churches today they're offering people positions of authority. Do you know why? Do you know why the body ministry doctrine is so prevalent? Because they want to give people a feeling that they're important. But God says you can do nothing. They want to make it acceptable and beautiful for people to feel they can be a part of it. And Jesus says, I've done everything. Jesus said it's finished. What man can minister anything? We're all to point to him and see that he alone is the true ministry. Not us. You can do nothing. You present something that's so ridiculous, so stupid, so ugly to the flesh, but so wonderful to the souls who find the peace in him. That's the wonder of it all. It's so wonderful. And you don't ever try and make it nice. Can you imagine Peter on the day of Pentecost? There they all are and he preaches to them. And he says, you with wicked hands took him and crucified him. How about that for getting people to respond? How about it? He put the blame where the blame was and he left it there. And 3,000 were added to the church. He brought conviction of their sin and he told them they were murderers. <laughs> and yet, even though he presented it in such a way that it would turn people off, they said, what can we do to be saved? He presented the thing that God was angry with them, that the day of judgment was coming. They with wicked hands had done this. What can we do? There's one head of the church and his name is Jesus. There's one authority and his name is Jesus. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it's all in him. That's why he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Glory to his wonderful name. And that's the baptism I need. One faith, the faith of the Son of God. I don't need my faith, I need his faith. And one Lord, Jesus. Do you know he's everything? When Paul wrote and said, Christ is all in all, he meant it. He was saying to people, don't you understand? They're trying to subvert you. They're trying to lead you away. They're trying to offer you alternatives. But there is no alternative. There's only one. Man's always working out. Don't you think if the church and the church forms were important, Jesus would have talked about them? But he never did. 
Never. And do you know what the apostles did? They gave themselves to fasting and prayer and seeking God. They never went out to establish churches and sought them out. They gave themselves to knowing Him. Because they found out and they gave the job to deacons and people and said, oh, you get on with waiting on tables. As for us, we're going to seek the face of the Lord. They realized they'd gone wrong. A man's ministry is to point everyone to him and say, hey, there's your Savior. There is your salvation. God is my salvation. Everything's in him and I love him. Loving him. Loving the one in whom there's no form nor comeliness. I thank God that Jesus comes and doesn't matter what the form is that people have, when Jesus comes it all breaks down. I remember the first time he came to the church. The first time God came and really visited us, we'd stack the chairs up all around the side of the room and I remember standing on a little platform, it was only six inches high, a platform, there weren't many people there, but I remember standing there. I called the people back to the center of the room. I closed my eyes. I didn't know anything about dancing. Didn't know anything about anything, really. And I lifted my hands up to heaven. And I said, we're going to praise God. And I closed my eyes and God came. When I opened them, there were people on the floor. There were people leaping and dancing and jumping. There were people, all sorts went on. And for two and a half hours, there was no form. None at all. God did it. And you know, I find in meetings that really there's no form. People say to me, how do you run your meetings? Well, I don't. When I come to a meeting, I often sit on the platform having a clue what way it's going to go. I don't know if I'm going to preach first or sing first. I don't know what songs I'm going to sing. I don't know anything. And I just wait till God quickens something to my heart and then I start. And then I follow my nose. I, I ride, I suppose, dangerously because I just wait for God. And if he doesn't come, that's it, I quit. Sometimes I've sat for an hour waiting till God so gets me stirred up and enraged at people's religion. I get up and I give you what for. And sometimes he quickens a word to me straight away. And sometimes the first chorus I know is come. There's no form. I just want him. Because I know if he doesn't come, no one's going to get met. I know if he's not there speaking and doing it, it's useless. And you know, there's nothing attractive about it. When he comes, there's nothing naturally attractive. But it's somehow so wonderful and fulfilling in your soul. When he's met you, isn't it? Have you been to meetings where God's spoken to your heart and flooded you with his love? And you go and you think, oh, that was so wonderful. And if you try and explain, well, what was it? What was the form? What was the... He just came. He met me. And then you come to another meeting and you can go through all the same things and it leaves you empty. 
And you go away and you think. I've noticed it if, if sometimes the song leaders have had a, one song that's blessed them. You'll find for the next two weeks you've got to put up with having it. They don't understand. It wasn't in the song. It was just he came. It wasn't the words of the song or the tune of the song. It was just he in his mercy and love deigned to come. And that's all we look for. We look for him. And in our lives, that's all we need. We need him. Don't we? I need him. And the church will be built by him. I know that the only way to carry on is to keep looking to him and saying, Oh God, I want to present and lift up Jesus. No form, no comeliness, no beauty that we should desire him. There's nothing that's attractive, Lord, to call men and women to leave all, to forsake all, to follow you. There's nothing attractive. I can't promise them position because there is no position except the position of a slave serving. There's no credit. There's no thing you can add. Jesus cried, it is finished, and he meant it. Do you know when we've done everything, we'll be as unprofitable servants? Jesus said so. I believe him. It saddens my heart just to hear what they say. If you turn with me to Isaiah 63, listen to what Jesus says about body ministry. And let this sink into your heart. Let it sink into your soul and never let it be erased. Isaiah 63 verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone and of the people there was none with me do you realize that great king of glory trod the winepress alone and there was none with him when he shed his blood on Calvary and when he poured out his life there wasn't one with him and I'll tell you this he still treads out that winepress alone there's no one that can make atonement. There is no one that can be part of that atonement. It's him and him alone. It's all of Jesus. He does it all. Don't ever let anyone tell you you can be part of a body ministry. It's a lie. You can be part of those who lift up the head. And say, Him. Come to Him. Look to Him. Find your help in Him. Not in a man. In Him. Not in a ministry. In Him. Do you know you can preach the most eloquent sermons? You can 
preach the most eloquent doctrine. But if he doesn't come and he doesn't do the work, nothing happens. It's got to be all of him. All of him. I want to lift Jesus up, don't you? Hmm? I want to see men and women come to him and know that there's nothing in him. But we've got to lay everything down for him. Jesus told two little stories. Look at with me into Matthew's gospel. Just in case someone says I keep on the Old Testament, I'll just put it into the New. Matthew's gospel, chapter 13. Matthew 30. Verse 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, which when a man hath found he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. People talk about the kingdom, kingdom life today. Let me tell you the price of kingdom life. All that you have. Everything. That's what Jesus said it was everything goes on in Matthew 10 you'll find these words Matthew 10 verse 34 Matthew 10:34 Jesus speaking he says think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth I came not to send peace but a sword you tell that to the people that said the Spirit of God unites, he doesn't divide. You tell that to the people who preach that the Holy Spirit's the spirit of unity. Jesus said, think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. When Jesus come and when the truth first comes your enemies are your own household. When a man first begins to follow truth I tell you the enemies are in his own house. You don't have to go outside the door, it's in the family. Then Jesus goes on. 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, don't you dare love your family and put your family and compromise Jesus for your family's sake. You've got to follow after him. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Do you know, if you keep your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for his sake, he says you'll keep it. Paul writes, you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Got to lay down everything. Isn't that wonderful? Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus made it plain. He said, if you want this pearl of great price, you've got to sell all that you have, all that you are. You've got to give it all to have this. Everything. That's how the kingdom is. And yet, you see, we don't believe it. We think that we can have Jesus and our lives. But you can't. And what God's working out by the dealings of God in our life is bringing us to the place where we realize everything has to go on the altar. Every single thing. If you want to have that life, you've got to lose yours. That's it. If you want to have that pearl, you've got to sell everything. It's going to cause war in your household. No family likes to see. I remember my mother. I lost my father when I was nine. But I remember my mother when I'd got a good job and I was prospering and doing well. And when I told her I was giving it all up to follow the Lord, she went bananas. How can you do that? You don't you know? And she went on and on. In fact, for four years she didn't speak to me, wouldn't write to me, wouldn't communicate with me. Didn't alter my set of my will and my heart. I was going to follow him all the way. It's true, it's your enemies of your old house, own household. And some of you will have found if you've gone to follow the Lord and you follow Jesus, it's hard to explain, isn't it? You can't give logical reason, you just got to go. And it's unreasonable and there's no beauty or comeliness that we should desire him. I mean, what do you see in going to meetings? What is it you've got? Why do I just follow him? Well, what is it that's so special? Tell me, what do you find? Well, how can you tell them? They don't understand. But one thing you know is your heart has said, I'm going to give all to follow him. And your heart is set on it. And you're prepared to lose your home. You're prepared to lose your family. You're prepared to lose your life. To have him. 
And that's where it brings everyone to. For Christ is all in all. And you're going to have to pay that price, friend. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be accused. You're going to be hurt. But no one thing. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful saviour. He's a wonderful Lord. But that wonder is hid from the world. But it's revealed unto the sons of God by his spirit. He takes the things of God and makes them real to us. The natural mind cannot even understand them or comprehend them. But oh, when he opens up the secrets and the treasures of his storehouse to us. It's wonderful. I find when I talk to people, I've often found God has flooded my soul with such wonderful truth. My heart felt fit to burst. And I go and I try and share it with someone. And you begin to tell them, and even as you begin to share it, you see from their face they haven't got a clue. If he doesn't give light, how will they ever know his beauty? If he doesn't give a vision of it, how will they ever know? Christ is all in all. To us, there's no kingdom down here. There's nothing we build down here. We look for a kingdom to come. Where he is. We set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. And we have no way of explaining why it is we kiss those nail-pierced feet. Why it is we see beauty in that brow so scarred. Why it is we find joy in the one so marred. That the world would reject it and despise and spit on it. But to us, it's the savor of life. I love him. My heart is after him. I'll leave all for him. Will you? Christ all in all. That's really the call that God gives. I can't promise you a ministry. There isn't one. Save to be a servant. And do the master's bidding. And when you've done that, you'll only be unprofitable. I can't promise you credit, you'll have none. I can't promise you a place because it's his. And his alone. I can't promise you authority because he's all authority. I can promise you one thing. He's Jesus. And he's all you need. And he'll be all you need. He'll work in your life and your heart until his life flows forth in wonderful richness. And when you see him, you'll discover you're like him. For he shall have done the work. 
His name is Jesus. What a gospel. What a wonderful gospel. A healer, deliverer, helper. It says in 1 Corinthians that he's our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and our redemption. Nothing I do will sanctify me. He is my sanctification. He is everything. He is my redemption. He is my salvation. God is everything to me. And I look under him and I know in him I'm complete. I want to lift him up and point you unto him say you need him. And if you look after him and you follow after him and you sell everything for him, you'll have everything you need. Everything. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Oh, how wonderful. I can't tell you he's beautiful. He isn't. I can't tell you there's a wonderful form. He's got no form. Nor comeliness. But let me tell you. He's a great big heart of love. And compassion. And mercy. And he'll transform your whole being. Till you're like him. You'll lose your form. And you'll just have his life. May God draw you out. And into that. Let's pray. a friend of your soul let me say to you the world's full of forms today we're being assailed from every side with solutions but the one solution the one who can help is Jesus the one who will answer every need is Jesus. The one who will be everything to you is Jesus. Jesus. He comes with such love. There's no form, no beauty that I should desire him. There's nothing that I behold that would say, oh, that's so wonderful. There's a cross. There's a call to leave everything to follow him, sell all give all 
That's the price. Friend, you want to be part of this kingdom? Jesus said, that's the way it is. You've got to go alone. Oh, Father. Father, I want to lift thee up. Jesus, I want to present Thee. I know words are so ineffectual. I feel so impotent to express the glory of that gospel. But, oh Master, Be thou art exalted in our midst. Be thou lifted up. O crucified one. Come. Let every heart hear that call of thine. To leave everything. To follow thee. To abandon all for this. To follow thee. There's no form. No comeliness. No beauty that we should desire him just a death sentence in our lives we've got to lose our life we've got to lose it all in order to have him oh God It's the truth. Friend, do you want to come? Will you follow him? Do this somehow grip the inside of your being? You've got to lose everything for this. Everything must go. I ask you now you make up your mind thou lodgest I'll make a dwelling place in the shadow of thy presence will I make a hiding place precious Jesus I'll not leave thee 
Could you sing that today? I'll leave everything for you. I don't want you to come up the front. What I'd like you to do, if that's your determination, if that's what your heart says, you just stand where you are and sing this song to him. Don't stand if you don't mean it. Don't even mouth the words if it's not in the depths of your soul.
all in Christ is all in all. All you have to do is let him work out his purpose in your life. Give everything to him. Sell all for him. He's a wonderful savior. He does all things well. He'll keep you. He'll deal with you. And he'll present you faultless before the throne. Great is the Lord. Great is his faithfulness.